understand, like most of us know, if we've been in recovery, they in the in the book of recovery they bring this to the root of the problem, or their take on the root of the problem, which was obsession with self, or you know excessive concern with self, or whatever you want to call it. But obsession usually is demonstrated by thought. Yeah? When you're obsessed over something, you're thinking about it, because the mental process reigns supreme in this apparatus. So. My experience is that that's not the case. And what we do here is just try to add on to it or actually take it back a step farther. And maybe, just maybe, and it's not a draft or a conscription, it's an invitation. You can see if it works for you or not. It doesn't really matter. But we have the right to hear it because your ability to entertain is unbelievable. And yet all we've been entertaining is what's been force-fed us through self-centeredness. And there's not much possibility self-centeredness offers, if you noticed. Because usually, if you look back at your life, the possibilities that you've entertained, you have just re-entertained. They've been dressed up a little differently. Let's say the idea of a fairy princess. Maybe they were all different fairy princesses, but, but the same ideal was there, that this lady's going to save me, or something, this job's going to save me, or if I move to the next town, that will save me, everything will get better, or when I have my next kid, that will save the marriage, or whatever. There's always this, these possibilities, but they're the same, very limited ones. Yeah? Like the highest possibility about being well here is I will be okay later. That's the best you can do in self-centeredness. Very rarely do you sit in the okayness of this moment. It's always the unokayness that you're going to suffer through, but you will be okay later. If you say, what about now? No, 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 no. You don't understand. I'm cooking in this, but I will be all right later on my own terms. That's not what we're talking about here. Self-centeredness is a small system, but you can't escape it as its center, which is self. If you're identified as self, which is the sense of being a long-lasting independent, separate entity, this, if you identify it as this, and you're conscious of life as this, you're going to be unconscious of what's conscious. Yeah? Because there is the act of being which is conscious of. Yeah? The conscious of is what's called the verbing of life. But when that conscious of is forgotten, and we take this to be I am conscious as this, this causes us to be unconscious to that primary fact. Yeah? That we are not a body. Or like, well, Jesus, I think he meant, I don't know what exactly he meant, I don't know what he actually said, but it says in the Bible that we're in this world, but we're not of this world. So let's say we're in this world of body, but we're not of body. Yeah? So in other words, consciousness of is moving through this body. It's like if you went to the Empire State Building today and you went up and they have those telescopes on top and you wanted to see the city. You'd look through the telescope and hundreds of people are doing it every day. But I bet you not one of those people think they're the telescope. Yeah. They look, they want to see the city. They can't see it as clearly as they want. So they look through the telescope. Now they can see the city. But they, when they leave, they don't think they're the telescope. Yeah. But consciousness is seeing this world through this, but it's become identified as this. Yeah? It's taken what it's moving through to be what's conscious. And then the mental obsession keeps that identification reinforced. Yeah? It's almost like a trance. Because life is always presenting free samples to see that you're, that's, this is not so, 
but it's overrun by this obsession. So the mind is obsessing over what it's identified as. The daily obsession is like the glue that allows the bondage to self to continue. And that's why in our program it says, please, please relieve me of the bondage to self. So what is the bondage to self? To me, the bondage to self, or the glue to that bond, the bondage is identified as self, and the bondage is the obsession with it. Yeah? With all the thoughts going around and around, the central idea of being Paul, that obsession is, is like the glue that keeps the bonding in place. Because it's not a true coming together, you and self. There's got to be a bonding agent. So there's the identification as it, which is the preliminary idea that you're a self, and then it's wound up by thought. And so it keeps, then you're in this place. So instead of seeing life as consciousness of life through this, you're seeing life as I am conscious as this. So the bonding agent keeps it in place. Now, no matter how much you try to unglue that glue, it doesn't seem to work. If you notice many people who've been attempting it, it doesn't seem to work where you get a long-lasting relief from that identification. Because it's not obsessing with self that's the dilemma. It's the identification is the dilemma. If you see that you're not that, that's the loss of the binding agent. And when, it, and when the thoughts that you think are about you and you see they're not about you, the glue is stale. It doesn't stick. Yeah? It's still getting applied, but it's not adhering. It's not producing a, a, an adherence or a bonding because you're holding the thoughts not as they're about you or that you're the thinker of them. You're just seeing the thoughts. And one of the leaps we have in AA is... It's so obvious if you come to a recovery meeting, if you just watch and listen, and you see that all these people are sharing thoughts and feelings and reactions about life in the meeting, in a safe place, hopefully. And you're sitting there, and probably in terminal uniqueness, you're believing every thought is your thought, and, there are, and all the feelings are yours, and no one ever felt like you did, and no one ever thought what you've done, and you, definitely no one ever did what you did in life, and then people share their thoughts and their feelings and their reactions to life, and you identify. They've done the same thing. Their thoughts sound just like my thoughts. When they share their feelings, hey, I've had those feelings. Why isn't it that we're not seeing what that message implies when you hear that? They're not your thoughts. They're not your feelings. They're not your reactions. Obviously, how could they be if so many people share them? How could they be if so many people share them? So the first, we have had the great opportunity because the disease of selfing is, works really well in isolation. It can be in a crowd, but it'll be isolated in it. But we have gone into a room all around the world where people who suffer from the same takeover share about what it's like. Yeah. They don't, they're not clear that it's a takeover, but they share about what it's like living under that influence of alcoholism or the parasite. And you sit there and you identify with what they're sharing. And if a quote-unquote normie came in, and there was a joke that most of the alcoholics in the room would laugh at, the normie would be aghast, maybe. Like, 
can't believe they're talking like this in public. But everyone else is laughing. Why? Because we're identified not with who we are, but what, with what has taken each of us over. Because it's the same thing that took us over, called alcoholism. Yeah? Alcoholism is a deep mental groove that infects the mental process, obviously. And if the mental process is the producer of self, then it infects the idea that's being reinforced and produced every day by the mental process. It infects your idea of self. Yeah? So when you are bonded to an identification of self, you're an extreme example of self-centeredness running wild. You're an extreme example of self-will. You're an ex extreme example of self-obsession because the alcoholism amplifies the basic effects of the parasite and sort of puts it on like steroids. So when we act out, some of us act out on a grand scale. Other people act out, but they may not act out on such a grand scale. So we're easily seen, the parasite, because it's out in the open and it's really going to town through us. It's making a big splash. Other people may be having a life of quiet desperation, being taken over by that. But if you see that what is the thoughts in your head aren't really about you, they're about self, they're about you as a body, but that's not you. I would say what we are is expressed every moment that we're alive, and that is in the act of being consciously in contact. So how we are in conscious contact with this place is we see it, hear it, feel it, taste it, touch it. And the sixth contact is we think about it. That one went overboard a little bit, but because thinking is contrived in time, the, self is, the self's realm is in time, and the way it travels in time is thought. Yeah. So here, every moment, let's say that you're not asleep, and even when you're asleep, you're having contact in the dream world, but when you're in deep sleep, everything comes to rest, so you're resting in what you truly are, that awareness. Yeah. The rest of the time, you're conscious of what's happening, to an extent. We're quite unconscious about a lot of things because we're identified with self. And that self makes us unconscious to the fact that we're the consciousness. Yeah? So I am conscious contact. What I am is what's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. Now, most of us think it's me that's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. But like we went over a couple, I always go over, when I saw one of my relatives who I really like dead, in a casket, I had a very strong hit, that wasn't Uncle Fred. I was identifying Uncle Fred as a body, yeah, because I was identified as a body. But when I saw that consciousness not expressing itself through that body, that wasn't Uncle Fred, that body. So actually what I was calling, what Uncle Fred was, was the consciousness. I was just mistaking it as the body, because I was mistaking it as the body in me. When that consciousness left that body called Uncle Fred, it was very clear that ain't Uncle Fred. So consciousness, the spirit, if you want to call it, the no-thingness, the awareness, is truly what's in conscious contact. Yeah? It's seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. The mental process recognizes that and says, I'm, as this, seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. So the first thing the mental process claims is its true nature and turns it into this. So consciousness 
is now seen as I am conscious. And that's causing you to be truly unconscious to the fact that all there is is consciousness. And it has an incredible little fail-safe because now, if you're identified as self and you try to get out of self, it's an impossibility to get out of self as self. Because self, the idea of being an individual, long-lasting, separate entity, is made up by what? The mental process. The mental process is making up the sense of being a self. So self can never leave the mental process because it's a product of the mental process. If it would leave the mental process, it, it, first of all, it can't because it can, only be, it can only seem to be real in the mental process. So when you go, I'm going to get out of self, and then you, maybe you think there's a selfless state that you as a self can visit. <laughs> But the, the selfless state is informing you that forbidden, no entry, no self can leave the mental process. Yeah. So that's why, in a way, it says self can't get out of self. Jesus Christ, I really wish it could. But if it could, it, that would be self. So when you think you get out of self, you're still in self. Because self can't get out of self. <laughs> so, okay, now you're identified, not knowingly, because it, most you do not know you're identified when you're identified. That's why it's nice. Usually, in a lot of cases, you need an outside source to invite you to take a look. Sometimes it hits someone like a bolt of lightning, but most people are totally unaware that they're identified with a mental process. So someone who maybe has heard the message or has come out of that trance will come and hopefully say, hey, take, take a look. You may not be that which you think you are. Yeah? And that mistake may be the cause of all the suffering you're claiming to be yours in this life. Yeah? And then you'll, someone may say, hey, listen, how many problems did you have this week? Fifteen? All right, who is, who is it that had, how many, how many yous did have those problems? One. Yeah? There was one you who had fifteen problems. Maybe it was a bad week, you had twenty-five problems. Why would you want to look at the twenty-five problems? Look at what has them. <laughs> Maybe if you're not what has the problems, then the problems will change. They may not look like they look like to you, because if you're looking at the problems from a problem, that's a big problem. Yeah? Because then you'll see you're missing the point of your role in having a world full of problems for you. You are actually the bringer of those problems by the meeting this apparatus is giving life. It's giving life the meaning there's a lot of freaking problems concerning me in that. Yeah. But you are the main problem. So if, what would happen if that knot, which is, is, let's say, the first, the mythical first knot, was addressed, instead of trying to unknot all these other knots, like money and relationships and this and that and da-da-da-da-da all the time, and then noticing that because I get a circumstantial loosening, I get a circumstantial tightening again. Yeah? If I go to a place and there's no trouble and I'm in a retreat and no one's yelling at me and I'm not at work and they're feeding me beautiful vegan food three times a day and I'm getting massaged and hey, pretty good. I feel really uplifted. I feel totally transcended of my situation. But then you go home on Monday and it's all knots up again. <laughs> you know, oh, my relationships really works great when we take separate vacations. But when we get together again, it's knotted up again. Yeah. So this is, okay, what about, could there possibly be a first knot in life 
that has a thread that runs through it and affects all the other knots that we would call knots in life. You know, all the topics, all the things, concern of health, security, love, whatever, all those levels, yeah? What would happen if that first knot was addressed and it loosened up? And a thread of that knot has, goes through all the other knots. So let's say this would be the tree, and you would know the tree by the fruits. The tree suddenly happens, loosens up, and the fruits would loosen up. So you would know, hey, there's been a strong sense of traveling lighter over the last few months. I must have fell upon something that finally freaking works. <laughs> yeah. So you'll know the tree by the fruit. So that's what, in a sense, happened to me. I didn't know when I entertained this that this was going to be the last answer in my life, but it became so far for the last 15 years or so the last answer. I had no idea. All I felt was an unspoken yes. I felt like, Jesus Christ, something hit me. And I said, fucking aha! Yeah. And then I just entertained it, and now over time I can say at least till today it was the last answer I ran into. Someone finally laid it on me and said, hey, bro, Maybe you should look at, instead of talking about the next new meditation technique, just ask who's the meditator. Find out who that is. Who is it that needs all, all these techniques of meditation? Who's that screwed up that he's constantly got to be working on himself to make it through a day? Who is that? Well, all right. It's me. What do you mean? I'm busy trying to get myself better. Well, maybe there is no self to get better. Oh. So, what did I have to lose? Nothing at the time. Literally, nothing. The only thing I had as an egoic-centered idea was I was a house painter, and I wasn't even that good. So the best, the only other, you know, notch I had for my hat was spiritual seeking. You know, I had, a, had grown an identity that I was a good spiritual seeker. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> I could sit, you know, still for a couple of hours. <laughs> So when that fell, you know, it's like getting caught with my pants down in the main square of a town. I was like, oh. You know, the thing hit me, and I realized that everything that I was trying to accrue value of had no value whatsoever. And that could be terribly crushing, but what's behind, on, beyond it is totally valuable. That isn't based on you polishing it or doing or having or anything. It's just a recognition of what's truly so. And that recognition... It's being displayed every moment. I was just under the mistaken identity that I was what was conscious. I didn't know that consciousness is conscious of me as this. Consciousness starts before where I think I start. There's no before and after, but it's get that sense. Consciousness, it's, when I would go here, I was, mis, I was mispointing. I needed to go, let's say, there, because consciousness is what I am. And this is the telescope that it enters this world and can see and feel and taste and touch. This telescope is an incredible surround sense telescope. It not just sees, but it hears, <coughs> feels, tastes and touches and actually even thinks. Yeah? But that consciousness is looking through this like an apparatus, like a pair of glasses, like a telescope. And through this, it has conscious contact with itself as other things. Yeah? So now consciousness is conscious of itself as this or as this, or as you, or as the space here, 
or this plant. Yeah? Because it can't be conscious of itself in all there is is consciousness, because all there is is consciousness. How can no-thing be conscious of no-thing? It's just all no-thing. But here, it can come through this apparatus, and then no-thing can seem to appear as things. So in a sense, consciousness is finally getting to know itself here, in a way. And this is its telescope for that. And the joy of it is to see, and it's no work, that life is happening instead of through, instead of life is happening to me, or for me, or as me, or by me, but a sense of life is just happening through. And there's no central location it's happening through. It's happening through everywhere. And that's the beauty. I like to use the term everywhere, because I've always wondered when I was growing up in Catholic school, they'd always read you this thing in catechism, try to get these three points across, like every day. The three, the three uh, qualities of God, which is all-knowing, all-powerful, always present. So omniscient, omnipotent, yeah, and something else, whatever. And so I, you know, as I got older, I was thinking, well, if, it's, if God is everywhere, why aren't we bumping into it? You know, why, did you run into him today? A couple of times? I would think you'd be running into him all the time if it's everywhere. I mean, I run into friends that I haven't seen in a couple of years more than I run into God, and yet they're not everywhere, but God seems to be. Why is it that I have an incredible immunity to recognizing the obvious of everywhere? Why is that? How is that impossible? How can everywhere become a, an exotic goal that my special somewhere could entertain? Yes? I'm going to take a trip to the Himalayas and go into a cave, and in there, that's where the everywhere will be. Wait a minute. Everywhere, if I remember the definition of everywhere, it means everywhere. Yeah? And if it's everywhere, where is there a, a room for any special somewhere? So the special somewhere must be a contrived state. How do I contrive that state? How is it that my mind makes that special somewhere a gated community? So that what goes on in that gated community is private the thoughts and the feelings and reactions to life, can be totally private because I'm in this walled little community. It's identification as a body. I make a special somewhere that excludes everywhere. And now, if you really are sick in a way, you may become a spiritual seeker and you'll seek that everywhere as a special somewhere, which means before you even start the journey, it's meant to fail. <laughs> That's why you can keep journeying and journeying and journeying. You never seem to find everywhere. Why is that, if it's everywhere? How could you be missing everywhere, especially when you're busy looking for it? How could you possibly miss it? What's causing you to be blind to the obvious fact of the presence of everywhere? How could I miss it? Where the hell is the freaking thing? Well, it's not that everywhere is missing. There's just been a little bit of a mistake <laughs> there's been a sense of a special somewhere that's fueled and powered by everywhere, but in its being fueled and powered, it's forgotten the everywhere and it's taken itself to be a special somewhere. It's not seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. It's just claiming the natural everywhereness of seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and saying, I'm seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. And that's like the gated community. 
So now, I'm in a special somewhere. I have private thoughts in here. You have never thought what I've thought. You've definitely never felt what I've felt. And you've never did the heinous things that I've done. So I have my special little, special little community of one in there. And I'm talking about the great grace and glory of everywhere, but only in the special somewhere, which makes it very safe, because you'll never be confronted by everywhere there. You'll bring your little pseudo-everywhere there and think, oh, usually a dead person, like a dead master. It's easy to worship that. Put a dead everywhere there, or a representative everywhere, and you're special somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, so there's the everywhere, and there's a the special somewhere. Now, how do we entertain ourselves in that special somewhere? Well, most of our attention and interest is in the mental process, obviously. Smell is very rarely even acknowledged. Yeah? Sometimes you feel, sometimes you don't. Seeing is the big secondary one. Hearing, yeah, yeah. Tasting, yeah, not so bad. Seeing is, is like the second most. But this is definitely the more powerful sense. And where our attention and interest is totally locked up in there. And in there, because you are truly what's not happening. Consciousness is not happening as you being conscious as a body. That's not what's going on. Yeah? So this what's not happening lives in a realm of what's not happening, which is past and future. Yes? And it travels, it can travel as a body, because if you look at the surveillance camera of tonight, we are under surveillance. If you had a chance to look at them, you would be in this room, even though you were thinking about next week. And for all intents and purposes, you were absorbed the next week. But it's that absorption, no matter how intense, cannot transport your body there. Yeah. So there you are. So you travel as a thought, which is that you're a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. That's the only way that you constantly get your ticket stamped, is because you are thought, what you identified as. So that thought travels on these other trains of thoughts, and you go into what's not happening, literally. And anything can happen in what's not happening. Anything. In what's not happening, you can have every disease, diseases you haven't even come up with, you could have it. You can be destitute, you can be, your girlfriend or boyfriend can be sleeping with your best friend in what's not happening. You're fired in what's not happening, you'll never be loved again in what's happening, and your pants are too short in what's happening. And your zip is down, what's not happening. All these things, yeah? So there you are, in the realm of what's not happening. Anything can happen there. What's not happening... And then there's something else that's going on. And that's what's happening. And actually, what's not happening is a part of what's happening. Yeah, because, obviously, what's not happening... What would be the greatest solution to what's not happening if you were suffering from it? What could possibly be the solution to it? recognizing it's not happening. Yeah? If you recognize it's not happening, what else is there to do? How can you apply a solution to something that's not happening? Yeah? That's it. The recognition it's not happening is the active recognition of being conscious. That's what it is. That's called being. Now, most people don't even acknowledge when they're being because they want to be a being a noun, but the act of being or conscious contact is what living is. It's called being. There is no divine being or there is no human being. There's just being. 
Consciousness is being by having contact with others. Faint, yes? That's how consciousness bees. That's its verb. Before that, it's all stillness. Now it's verbing. I'm, in conscious, I'm conscious of millions of things in one lifetime. Millions of freaking things. But I'm not conscious as this ever. Never. Never. As soon as I believe I'm conscious as this, I'm unconscious to consciousness. I, the mind's claimed it, neutered it, and now every minute, every second, it's revealing its nature as my nature. My mental process is claiming it to be. I'm the one that's conscious. I'm seeing. You're not seeing. You never saw. If you looked out this window and a bird went by, there would be seeing. It has nothing to do with you. Your head would I didn't want to see that bird, but you saw that bird. What happens when a feeling occurs? People say, I don't want to have the feeling. They've already felt the feeling. It's too late. How would you know you didn't want to have a feeling until you had it? So the conscious contact is you recognize a feeling, then the mental react, I don't want to have this feeling. Well, <laughs> it's not up to you. You're powerless. You're irrelevant. Conscious contact is occurring. That's, that's the, the, the rubber on the road, is conscious contact. The narration of the trip, of the journey, the made-up journey, is the narration I'm hearing, I'm feeling, I'm tasting, I'm touching, I'm thinking, I'm smelling. Yes. I'm as this. And then you believe that you have an option. So you go back in the past and you think, what I could have done different? There's no redoing here, have you noticed? We don't get, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's, it's, no, 7 after 8, stop. We should have stopped this five hours ago. Let's go back, 2.30. 2.30, I was at the warehouse and, what, oh, director, come on in here, change everyone. Oh, great, get new lines. Paul, you're wonderful. I think you should have a raise. All right, I like that. Does it happen? There's no redoing, is there? What about the future? You go into hell a couple of doors. What if I should have, I could have. I could have had two girls, two babies if I was a woman. I'm not a woman. Oh, what would have happened if I didn't get hit by the car, but I got hit by the car. <laughs> if you want to know if something was supposed to happen, it did. End of story. There's no more room. What consciousness is, is an optionless state. You have no option to your nature. You're a byproduct. What you think you are is a product of a freaking mental process. It has no say in what you are. You are consciousness. That's that. There's no, oh, I think I, I've been unconscious, now I want to be conscious. That's mind playing God. That's what selfing does. It, it gains relevance in being, let's say you wanted to know God. Let's just say that. Your idea of God. And then, if you look at your journey to know God, who is actually playing God? God or you? Who's telling you you're getting closer to God? Who's telling you that if you did that yesterday, you're far away from God? Is God informing you of any of that? Is God telling, is He sending you a message, the proximity? You're getting closer? It's like that little game. You're getting warmer, you're getting warmer, you're getting warmer, you're hot, oh, cold. You never find it, because this whole thing is playing God. While you're pursuing God, it's playing God. It's telling you how good you're doing. <laughs> you can't have an experience of God. This is it. Conscious contact. That's more. You cannot get a bigger experience of what God's doing than this example of being going on right now. 
There's consciousness of seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, thinking. Yeah? There's an awareness, isn't there? You're conscious. So what happens when I become conscious of what's not happening? It stops having any influence on me. Why? For one basic reason. It's not happening. I didn't have to go through 30 years of therapy or find a new trick from Mongolia or Tibet. It was just a simple recognition. Hey, it's not happening. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> See, what ha what's happening has a quality it doesn't have. It's happening. Not that what you wanted is happening. Not that the person you wanted to see is happening. But the seeing is happening. The feeling is happening. The sensing is happening. You tell me, bring me next Friday. The only way you touch next Friday is by thought. You can't feel it. You can't taste it. You can't smell it. You can't feel it. It's not so. You want to spend tons of money on therapy? Therapists could be out of business. They could start a whole new industry just by telling their patients, hey, you know what? It's not happening. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm paying you $300. I want you to listen to what's not happening. All right, for 400 I will, but I'm just... <laughs> I'll listen as much as you want. You want me to give you a solution to what's not happening? You want me to? It's not happening. No, I don't like that solution. I want you to get in there and make, give me relevance and tell me what I need to do with what's not happening. All right. Here you do. Go home. <laughs> Think a lot. Go in there. And then feel like none of it actually ever happened. <laughs> what could be the solution to what's not happening other than what's not happening? What other solution could you apply? Anything, if you applied a solution to what's not happening, it would be seemingly happening to you. That's, isn't that the delusion you want out of? Don't you want immunity to thought? I was just with someone now being just driven crazy by thought. I didn't see anything else in the room that could do it to her. The plants weren't, you know. The wind wasn't blowing specifically at her, you know. There wasn't like a fog of, there wasn't terrible, terrible things getting killed in their, a vision. She wasn't feeling anything terrible like slimy banana slugs or anything. There was just the craziness could not be seen or felt or heard or tasted or touched. But there seemed to be an overriding sense of anxiety, depression, and this and that. What better solution then is just to point out what's happening. And maybe if you recognize what's happening you'll have immunity to what's not happening. You won't be so much easily brought under that trance of what's not happening because you'll have something that you can hold against it when you look at it. What's not happening? What's happening? If you go, what's not happening and what's not happening, it's very freaking confusing. Yeah? If you go, what's not happening with what you think should be happening is very freaking confusing. What's not happening with what I thought happened once before is also very, very confusing. But what's not happening with what's happening, there's your exit door out of an imaginary place. To me, that's love. Love 
Because love isn't trying to get your attention just with one door. It's going through five. You're seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, and sensing. All the while, consciousness is behind every one of those experiences. That's what we are. You want to have relief from what you're not? That's it. Recognizing that you're not that. And in that recognition, that's the activity of being awake. To what? To what's not happening. It's a verb. You sense it. You intimate it. It's, it's a way to live here. It's the way to see. It's broken away from all those forms of looking, which to me are blindness, to me, terribly. They may have incredible, beautiful covers on the books and beautiful halls like this, but they're a form of blindness. These peculiar ways of looking. When the natural seeing is always being demonstrated every moment, you're, you're the living, moving temple. All the other temples are closed. You're worshipping at a closed temple. The temple is now, the, the, the beloved is moving in and out through the six doors, the five doors, the consciousness of all that's going on and not going on. The movement of God, not God as a stagnant idea or a noun that you have a, on a, like a picture or a cross, but the living God of being awake. There was a master, this master Hoang Po, who's an old early Zen master. I don't know if you don't know Zen, it's, I don't either, really. But it was an early Zen master, and I really liked him. And he said this one simple thing. He says, whatever can be perceived, thoughts, you're perceiving thoughts, yes. Whatever can be perceived cannot perceive. So whatever I see cannot be what sees. Whatever I feel, whatever object I feel cannot be what feels. What feels is consciousness. Spirit. The living awareness and it's only appearing to live by contact. That's what is seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching. The mental process has produced a changeling, a substitute, yeah? and places itself in the position of what seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, and touching, and then claims all the, all the consciousness of all the seeing and all the hearing as I'm the one that's seeing. Every demonstration of consciousness here is claiming to be it. So you start assuming that I'm conscious. I'm the one that's conscious. But in this place where we are appearing, this place is determined by a, by a movement called duality. So when you're identified as this, your possibility is I can be conscious or unconscious. That's not the recognition of consciousness. Consciousness is an optionless state. It's a recognition of the obvious fact of what's so by telling the truth about what's not so. By telling the truth about what's not so, that's the obvious fact of what's so in action. That's it being. It's being conscious. So now you have become conscious of what you were unconscious to before. You were unconscious to your own real nature by having it identified as this. Now you've woken up. 
But does that mean that you were never awake? No, there was always the awakening. But in this world, it seems as if you've now woken up to the always wakeful state. And it's optionless. It's not based on you doing or having anything. You have no relevance in this world of optionlessness. That's the beauty of it. You can't play God there. You can't say, I'm the one who's conscious because I did this meditation, and I'm the one who's unconscious because I did this heinous act or I hurt somebody today. That's playing God. That's the first requirement. One of the biggest how and whys of our whole program is to quit playing God. I was in Chicago, and a guy there was telling me about this psychiatrist, kid, guy who was a psychiatrist, did his thesis on AA. He wasn't an alcoholic, but he did his whole master's, whatever. And his whole thing, his whole take on AA boiled down to one sentence was, all of AA is just about quit playing God. That's all it is. It's all about quit playing God. So maybe, maybe, if you can start recognizing the act of playing God, and what allows that to seem so real is your identification as the center of that playing God called self, then maybe, just maybe, you would see the quitting of playing God occur. It's a living state. When, you're li- when you've quit playing God, it's a living state. It's not something that happened and then you can lose. It's a recognition of something that's always so. Yeah. So you, are you going to always stay there? No, because you have never gone there. It may seem like you come in and out, but in fact it's optionless. Just like every train of thought that seems to take you away, when you wake up to the train of thought, you're right where you always were. That's one of the quickest journeys. You would think if you were on a train of thought, it would have taken you a little while to get back. But as soon as you realize, hey, that's a train of thought, boom, that's it. You're right there. You're awake again. You're always awake. That's why it doesn't take any time. It seems like it takes time when the God of God is playing. God, because it lives in time, because that's where it can be the doer. It will be up to you in time to get to God. And then it's also up to you to tell you how you're doing. And you know what? You're never going to get to God. This is God. The conscious contact is the demonstration of what I would call God being God. Our mind plays God. Its way of being God is claiming the conscious contact and allow and believing that it's you as this that's in conscious contact. So the act of Godding is being hijacked and claimed to represent how I'm God. Yeah. The Godding is claimed by the pseudo God. So it says, "Don't put any God before me." Well, as self, we have put a God before that. Wake up! Tell the truth. The, t- the tree will bear its fruits. You'll know the tree by the fruits. If you start traveling lighter, you're on to something. And if that traveling lighter gets stabilized and it outshines your circumstances and situations that always tend to outshine you, then you know something's happening. Yeah? It's not happening to you. It's happening. Thank God it's not happening to you. Because if you believe it happened to you, you believe it, it cannot happen to you. The mind, the way the mind is, it goes either way, yes or no. If it believes it attains something, it will believe it can do something to lose it. That's not peace. If peace is predicated on you, your doing and having, it ain't going to be a very, very safe peace. Because you'll say, I didn't, I didn't re-up my subscription to peace. I didn't meditate today, so I'm not in peace all day. That's what it does, doesn't it? People who never meditated 
After they meditate a few years, now they, they, they're not okay unless they meditate. Give me a break. Who's playing God? You never meditate when you were a kid. You were totally okay running around like crazy. But now, now if you don't meditate, if you miss a meditation, you, the day's terrible until you can get back there to meditate. I have to make up for that misfit. This is insanity. It's mind playing God. Meditation's great, but don't beat yourself up with it. It's not its point. So I don't know. I just. Uh, Keep presenting it. It's like how many time, how many ways can I cook this thing up? <laughs> it's like Thanksgiving dinner every meeting. All right, let me see. So I'm put some stuffing in this one. Cranberry this time. So it's the same goose. That's the thing. People keep. They want everything to get better, but just as they are. They want to be just as they are, but they want everything to get better. You don't see that just as you are and the way things are seeming to be to you are in cahoots. Totally. You give everything all the meaning it has, this apparatus. That's what this apparatus does. It's called a subjective world, yeah? This world that you think is real and solid has nothing to do with your experience of it. It's all subjective. You give it the meaning it has, and she gives it the meaning it has, and I give it the meaning it has, yes? And that meaning is being directed from self-central, yeah, or not. If you're, if it's coming from self-central, we've all experienced the great meaning it gives things. <laughs> it immediately wants to bring what's not happening into what's happening. <laughs> but the meaning, the same ability to give meaning, it's nothing to do with you. It's just what is. Will also, if surrendered, if woken up to. That, that another place, not self-centered, will now start giving life a meaning. Yeah? You will react just like you did to the other meanings. Yeah? Your dream will get happier, in a sense. Yeah? And your ability to entertain, everyone has the ability to entertain. We've just, we have this incredible uh, marathon runner, and we stuck him down into a stale cellar. Just going over the same thing, rehashing the same possibilities. If only I would have stayed, or if only I wouldn't have walked across the street, I'd buy a car. If, <laughs> this thing, let the freaking thing out. It loves to run, free range, yeah? Your ability to entertain is unbelievable. You just need to open up to some different possibilities. I don't care about I will be okay. I am okay now. I don't want to have a thought that I belong. I want the sense of belonging. I want the sense of the presence. I don't want to think, oh, I have the, the best resume. I should be meeting God everywhere now. I've been doing all this stuff. and No, the sense of it as living going on. Yeah. So one more thing. I say this a lot, but this will be it. Faith. This idea that you can gather faith, to me, is total bullshit. You have tons of faith, just as you are right now. Faith, it's value or... It, its manifestation is based on what you put it in here. Yeah? The faith is from another realm, but what you put it here is what puts its force to use, either one or the other way, because this is a dualistic place. Faith is not dualistic. Faith is an energy coming from another realm, or the fourth dimension. We bring it in here, 
And then whatever we put it in, it manifests based on what we put it in. So if you have faith in your thoughts, and everyone who's flipping out right now about what's not happening has total faith in their thoughts, you are a devotee of the mind. And that faith is producing anxiety. Because you can't have anxiety right now because there's no threat. You have to be getting the anxiety in what's not happening. You have to be cultivating and harvesting it, and you've got to bring it back into what's happening with your interest and attention, and then download it into this poor freaking body, which only responds to what this thing is happening. And the same faith, if I put it over to, let's say, the spirit, then that faith, yeah, when I put it in there, it translates now, because it doesn't have any idea of time, it translates now into an ease and comfort with whatever situation and circumstance that I am. The degrees of ease and comfort may differ here, because this is a place of degrees, but the ease and comfort will start occurring. Now, it's not even a start, because it just drops in. So there's one, I have faith in the thoughts, I have faith in what's not happening, that's what produces anxiety now. Because obviously fear is a valid emotion, but what you're and you and me are suffering most of the time is anxiety. We're not suffering from fear. We're having a fear that's provoked by mental activity in what's not happening. And the faith, I put it in the spirit, if you want to call it that. To me, I put it in the living conscious contact. When I put it in there, I travel lighter now. You can tell the tree by the fruits, man. Check it out. And we're just going to keep offering this invitation. And if if you so like, we'll hopefully be here three times a week. This repetition, when when you're against a a self-inducing trance, (laughs) it's like sometimes it's sufficient just go like that. You may wake up. Other times, you, you have to have a nice alarm. And then other times, you've got to go back in the room after 10 minutes and wake them again. And then so we're setting up a form of repetition so we can entertain a message that hopefully will realize that straitjacket of mind that you think you're in is imaginary. It's being reinforced by the daily narrative. And you're in your own little made-up prison. And the door, like they say in spirituality, it is a gateless gate. There's no gate, therefore there's no need for a key, and there's no way that you don't go in and out. It's a gateless gate. It's an open secret. It's not a secret because it's open. Everyone knows. It's totally obvious. It's just a matter of maybe someone goes, hey, look at that. That's all. That's the best someone can do for you. It says point out something you're not seeing. Yeah? And then... And then you become a deer doctor, too, because the message is, I'm a lion, you're a lion, and then it gets translated into, I can become like a lion. So I've got to go in there, look into that sunny deer. All right, I see it. He's becoming like a lion. No, that's not the message. I am a lion. Because that's what happens here. The only way your mind works is in doing and having. It doesn't work in being. It works in, I can become something, but it can't entertain, I am, I am that. It has to do and have things for relevance. You're not that. You have a value in and of yourself because consciousness is it. 
It's the bringer of your life. All your troubles are illuminated by consciousness. All your great moments are illuminated by consciousness. Every seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, touching, all those experiences are delivered by consciousness. It's your mother and father. It's everything and all. And it's demonstrating itself right every second. And we're just running by it and thinking, I'm conscious. I'm this. I'm that. I have the right to just totally, totally ignore things here. I have the right to just say no to what's being presented because I have an idea of a better presentation later. That's playing God. That's what the mental process is doing. It's doing it. Check it out. It's not God. It's playing God. It's a verb. The verb can stop. It can be startled. When you wake up, it stops playing God because you stop giving your godlike juice to it. It's movie that seems so real. It's production of what's not happening. It's like Avatar at times. When you're up, when you're up the ass of self, it's like Avatar. You're like, you're just in that whole, you've got the 3D glasses and you're just totally lost in that world. Then you realize it's not you and it's like a, a flimsy, like, a, what is it? Plan of Planet Nine, you know, one of the worst movies ever made. We <laughs> did it in a backyard or something with Bela Lugosi at the end of his morphine addiction. And they're walking around. It must have cost about $50 to make the movie. You see right through it. This sucks. But then, identify yourself Pandora. Yes. Oh, it could have been better. It should have been better. You're not enough for me. No. It could... <laughs> Pull the plug out of it, man. Tell the truth. Are you waiting for it to finally deliver the goods? If it hasn't delivered the goods, maybe it never will. I don't think it can. It always promises you on a way-away plan. Now, if you do this and do that and jump this and go there, then you'll be really great. Am I great now? No, 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 no. You've got to accrue value. You have no value yourself. You going, bro? Yeah. All right. Nice to see you, man. All right. Well, now that he's leaving, we can end the process. Anybody have a hat? I'm not going to take any questions.